0: My question to you this morning is a real simple one. What's the Christian life supposed to look like? Now, if you were to ask that question to, say, a hundred different people out on the street and get a hundred different answers, you'd, you'd probably get something kind of like this. The Christian life is supposed to look like somebody who makes their decision to believe in Jesus, and then they they start to... Um, clean up some of the more gross aspects of their sinful lives, like they try to stop using four-letter words and cussing, and they, they stop sleeping around and committing fornication and adultery, and some of the bigger sins they try to clean up. But at that point, you pretty much got a description of the Christian, according to most people. Make a confession of Christ, and live a fairly clean moral life. And if he's a real good Christian, maybe he'll pick up his Bible and read it a few times during the week. But what we want to see this morning is what does the Bible say the Christian life ought to look like? We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 2, 3-7. through And the Bible says the Christian life should look like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He should look like a wholly devoted soldier, a rule-keeping athlete, and a hard-working farmer. That's the biblical description of of the Christian life. And this is when someone comes to Christ, this is what we want them to grow into. We want them to learn to live as a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer for Jesus Christ. And so here at the bridge, this is what we expect of each other. We expect that we will live out our Christian life the way God describes it to us in His Word. So, what exactly does he mean by living out the Christian life like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer? Well, in verse 7, he says... Consider what I say, for the Lord is going to give you understanding in everything. So what we want to do this morning is consider what Paul has told Timothy. We want to meditate on it. We want to consider it and think about it. And we have the promise that God will give us understanding as we do that. Amen? So that's our objective. The athlete. The soldier. The farmer. Let's take, first of all, the soldier. The soldier of Jesus Christ. According to Paul, he is to be a wholly devoted soldier. Now, why would God compare the Christian life to a soldier in a war? Because we're in a war. (laughs) Pretty simple. We are in a war. We are in the battle not only for our soul, but for the souls of other people. In fact, Paul would often allude to this. In this same uh, book that we're studying, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight. In other words, Paul knows that he has been fighting in a battle his entire life, but he has fought that good fight. Over in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he says, "...our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. So he says, we are struggling. We are fighting in this cosmic spiritual warfare. It's not against people. It's against demonic forces. Satan himself with his demonic armies are leveled against the believer wanting to destroy them. And you're going to have to fight against them in this battle. It's also interesting that when Paul will describe certain people who are fellow workers, in Philippians 2.25 and Philemon one two, he describes certain Christians as soldiers. In Philippians 2.25, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Or when he's speaking about Archippus and Philemon, he calls him our fellow soldier. So, these men were, were like you and I. They're, they're regular, ordinary Christians, but they were committed Christians. They were committed to fighting in the battle, and so Paul calls them soldiers. We also have in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, "...for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses." So we are in a warfare... We are in a struggle. We are in a fight. And that's why we are called soldiers. Paul's command to Timothy is suffer hardship with me as what kind of a soldier? A good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, do you see yourself as a soldier of Christ? Is that part of your self-identity? Do you, do you know that you are in a war and do you Put on the armor, and when you face the day, do you face it as a soldier would face a battle? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember that we're soldiers in his army. My prayer here at the bridge is that God is going to raise up an army of soldiers that are going to do battle with the enemy and are going to see ground won back from Satan. Jesus' kingdom increased and advanced, and his fame go forth here in Rancho Cordova and other parts of the world because he's called us to be soldiers. Now, what does he tell him to do as a soldier? He says, suffer hardship with me. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because warfare is not easy. Warfare is not fun. (laughs) It's not pleasant. Warfare means sacrifice. It means suffering. It means hardship, privation, difficulty, Sometimes loneliness. To be in a war, fighting a battle, is very difficult. And so he tells Timothy, you need to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So think about yourself as a soldier, and you're in the midst of the smoke, you're in the midst of the fire, the midst of the flood, your, your shield is dented, your armor's bruised. Your bruised, your sword is hacked. And you see and hear the anguish, um, the shrieks, and the groans of people that have been wounded and dying all around you. I mean, this was reality to people who have gone through war. I'm kind of a Civil War buff, well, at least a little bit. It intrigues me to learn about the Civil War. And I remember several years back reading a book about a Confederate soldier in the Civil War who kept a diary. And he published his diary after he got out out of the war, after the war ended. And he talked about what it was like to live as a soldier in the Civil War. And he spoke about the meager rations that they had to live off of. Oftentimes they would go hungry. He talked about the fatigue that they would face because they'd have to march for hours upon hours, sometimes marching through the night. Um, He talked about the fact that you had to take your turn as a guard, staying up all night. And if you went to sleep, you would be shot. He talked about the fact that they had to live either on the hard ground or in tents, and all they had to keep themselves warm was one blanket and the clothes on their back, and that many men over those freezing winters would actually freeze to death and die from the, the cold, the extremities. I mean, it was a difficult, difficult life. You had to be willing to obey your commanding officer on a moment's notice without question, without hesitation, to run into battle knowing that you may, maybe possibly, lose your life in that battle. Have you guys ever seen the movies Gettysburg or Gods and Generals? I've watched them several times. And it's amazing. You know, remember that... uh, Who was it? Um, Who was the general that went up that hill at the very end of Gettysburg? You guys remember him? I want to say Custer, but that's something entirely different. It's not... No? 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 Oh, well, I'll remember it in a minute here. Anyway, you know the, you remember that last battle? It, there, There's no way they're going to win the battle. I mean, it, it was a crazy thing for um, Robert E. Lee to, to tell them to do this. They're charging right up a hill into the midst of the Union Army. The Union Army is situated on top of the hill with their guns in place, mowing them down. And these guys keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming, knowing they're going to lose their life. I mean, it's, it's crazy, the courage that men have exhibited in warfare and it's a difficult, difficult life and God hasn't called us as Christians to an easy life He's called us to warfare sometimes we think, well something's wrong I mean, this isn't isn't easy things are difficult in my life something's got to be wrong no, something's right (laughs) you're in a war that's normal Christianity for you to be facing difficulty and hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ What would you think of somebody who said, yeah, okay, I'll enlist in the army, but I've just got a couple of little conditions. I want a king-size feather bed. I want three gourmet meals a day with dessert. I want plenty of time to read some novels, watch TV, and uh, play checkers when I get bored. Yeah. Crazy, right? (laughs) Nobody is accepted into the army on on any conditions like that. When they go in, they know they're giving up ease and comfort. And one of the things that kind of plagues us here in America is that we live in a very affluent culture. And so we have become to idolize things like ease and comfort, wealth. And so when we're called upon to do something hard, it's not easy for us Americans. That's hard. That's hard because we're not used to having to do that kind of thing. God is wanting us to be willing to engage the battle when it is not easy, when it is hard, when there's suffering involved, when there's heartache involved. He's wanting us to take up our arms and do battle against the enemy as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Now that's the first thing Paul tells Timothy. Suffer hardship with me. The second thing he tells him is that you can't entangle yourself in the affairs of everyday life. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So when a man enlists in the services, he says goodbye to some things, doesn't he? He says goodbye to his wife and his children. He says goodbye to his friends, his mom and his dad, his brothers and sisters. He says goodbye to his job, He says goodbye to his friends. He says goodbye to his hobbies and his recreations. Because he must give himself wholly to the work of soldiering. That is his new occupation and nothing can divert his attention from that. He is not allowed to entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now what would you think of a private telling his sergeant, Well, Sarge, I'd like to be at the battle tonight. But you see, I've got this business I've got to attend to. I need to go into town for a couple of hours and attend to some business. And after that, I've got a date with this cute little girl in town, and we're going to go out to dinner. I'm sorry, I'd really like to be there, but I'm just not going to be able to. What's going to happen to that private? He's doing push-ups until his arms are like jello, right? (laughs) And then he's going to be thrown in the hole. You you don't talk like that to your commanding officer. Yours is not to tell him what you're going to do. He tells you what you're going to do. And so he's not able to entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now does that mean that we are not to be involved at all with anything secular, with anything ordinary? No, it doesn't mean that. We have lives that we must live. We've got to go shopping. We've got to go to our jobs and work eight hours a day or whatever it happens to be. We've got to do the chores around the house. We've got a lot of non-spiritual duties that we must attend to. But the key word here is the word entangle. According to Paul, Timothy is not to entangle himself. What that means, he must keep his priorities straight. Yes, he's going to have to earn a living. He's going to have to shop. He's going to have to do all kinds of other things that are necessary and need to be done. But Paul is telling Timothy he must keep Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's interests first in his life. In fact, that's what Jesus taught us, didn't he? In Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now the little word in that verse that convicts me is the word first. Seek first, above everything else, the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness. That is the command that is still given to every child of God today. And so we must make serving Jesus and exalting Him and His priorities as number one in our life. To become entangled means that other things start slipping in and they start taking priority over our service to Christ. And that's really easy to happen. I think it's happened to me several times during my Christian life. I remember a few years back, I was wanting to build up our uh, retirement account so that when... I was able to retire. I had money to live on. And so went to a class and learned all about stocks and investing in stocks and options. And then, in order to keep up with all of that, you have to check it on a daily basis. And so I would get up, and the stock market opens at 6.30. So I'd go on the Internet at 6.30 and check everything. And do I have to do anything today? And you know what suddenly happened? That was my time with the Lord, and it started to be crowded out. I still had to go and work. Uh, cleaning windows and cleaning gutters after that so my time with the Lord started to be crowded out and this new interest started to crowd in and I think what was happening is I was becoming entangled in that and I've seen it happen to other people too you know they buy something new like a new boat and they figure well man I spent so much money on this thing I better use it so they start going out on weekends and at first it's just a couple hours on a Saturday eventually it starts crowding into their Sundays they start missing fellowship you start missing going to church and this new thing is starting to crowd out their service to Jesus Christ it's easy to happen I've seen other people they want so badly to excel at business that they're not willing really to give Christ first place in their life they give them sort of few meager leftovers they might listen to something um, as they're driving uh, a piece of a sermon once in a while but to really take time with Christ to open his word and to let God speak to them, and then to go out and seek to do something for the kingdom is just foreign to them because their mind is totally preoccupied on wanting to succeed in business. And folks, God wants us to have the mindset that we want to totally succeed at bringing him glory and advancing his interests in the earth. That's what God would have us to do as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, not to become entangled in the affairs of everyday life. There is something according to God's word that we are to become entangled in. When Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, in chapter 4, verse 14, he told Timothy, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with a laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, did you see the words that should be popping out from this verse? Take pains. Be absorbed. Pay close attention. Persevere. These are words that require the utmost diligence. And Paul is telling Timothy, this is what I want you to live your life like. Be absorbed. Be entangled in the work of Jesus Christ. Let that be your consuming passion. Just last Thursday, we were reading about the cleansing of the temple. And there's a scripture in the Old Testament that applies to Jesus. And it says, Zeal for thy house has consumed me. And that passage, according to John chapter 2, applies to Jesus. How did Jesus live his life? He was consumed... With a passion for God and His glory. And that is what God wants us to have. He wants this all consuming passion that we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to our commanding officer, the one who enlisted us. Now, look at the motive behind this particular command. In each one of these metaphors of soldier, athlete, farmer, there is a duty and there's also a motivation. The duty is to suffer hardship and not to become entangled. The motivation is given to us here so that you may please the one who enlisted you as a soldier. Now folks, who enlisted you as a good soldier? Jesus Christ. He is the commanding general of this army. He personally called you out of darkness into his kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Now folks, he hasn't called everybody. And he hasn't enlisted everybody. If you are enlisted in his army, that is a privilege. Believe me. Because that means you are on the winning side. That means that you are going to overcome the world and Satan and your flesh. That means you're going to live with him for eternity. He has called you. He has enlisted you. But along with this calling, the motivation for being a good soldier is so that we might please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. Does that resonate in your heart? Is there something deep down within your heart that says, yes, that's what I want. I want to please Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Paul can say, this is the ambition of every Christian. God plants this ambition in the heart of every person he saves. See, he gives us a new heart. And this new heart wants to be pleasing to the one who has saved his soul. So, good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship. Don't get entangled. The second picture is that of an athlete. It's that of a rule-keeping athlete. He says in verse 5, And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, athletics was a favorite metaphor of Paul. As you read through the Bible, you'll see this. He'll often talk about the runner or the boxer. And and he'll make reference to this as illustrations in his teaching to the various churches. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. See, the Christian life is like a race, and you're running the race. And Paul's advice to you is run to win that thing. You don't want to come in second or third or fourth or last. Run like you're going to win that race. What does that mean? If you were going to win a race, what would that mean for you? It's going to be discipline. That's right. Training. Training. And while you're running, what is it going to mean? Focus. That's right. Perseverance. Good. As as you can. It's going to give it everything you've got. God wants you to give your Christian life everything you've got. Joe, uh, Angela's husband, was saying, boy, it sounds so easy to be a Christian. To be a Muslim is hard. Boy, you've got to pray five times a day and you've got to go to... On Ramadan, you've got to go back there and you've got to visit their holy mosque and all of that. This is a piece of cake. All you do is believe in Jesus? I said, Joe, it ain't like that. (laughs) It might be easy to get into Christ. Yeah, all you do is believe. But once you become a Christian, you find out that He wants you to glorify you 24 hours a day, every second of that day, no matter what you're doing. And so, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to be able to do what He wants you to do. Give your Christian life everything you've got, folks. Folks. So we're to be an athlete. He also says in Acts chapter 20 verse 24, But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course. He's talking about a race course. Paul looked at himself as running. God had set out this course for him and he was running it. And at the end of his life he said, I have finished my course. I did it. God laid out the course and I ran it. I want you and I want myself to be able to the same thing when we come to die. I've finished my course. God gave me a course. He called me to something, and I did it. By His grace, I've accomplished it. Now, he tells us that if anyone competes as an athlete, he has to compete according to the rules if he wants to win the prize. According to the rules. You know, every sport has rules, doesn't it? Think about baseball. You can't go to second base until you go to first base. It's one of the rules, right? You can't strike somebody out if you only uh, have two strikes. You need three of them, right? It's simple. Every sport has its rules. The Christian life has its rules too. And if you're going to win the prize, you're going to have to compete according to those rules. You say, well, what rules are you talking about? God's Word gives us the rules. Have you ever considered whether God's law has any purpose in your life at all? Sometimes we kind of put down the law of God because we say you can't be saved by the law. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Therefore, we're not under the law. There must be no purpose at all for God's law in our life. I would say there is a purpose. The law of God tells you what kind of conduct is pleasing to him. And sometimes we need to know. Sometimes it doesn't come intuitively to know what kind of conduct is pleasing to our commanding general, to the one to our trainer who's who's training us in this race that we're running. In fact, if you were to look at the literal words behind this, it would be those who compete lawfully. If anyone competes as an athlete, he must compete lawfully in order to win the prize. Now, when I talk about the law, I'm not talking about the Old Testament Mosaic Law, because there's a lot of that law that is now obsolete for the Christian. Offering sacrifices. Um, circumcision. Uh, you can go read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, and you're going to find several things in those, those books that no longer apply to the Christian in today's, um, today's era. What I'm talking to you about are the commands of Jesus Christ... And his apostles, which have been laid down in our New Testament. Things like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Flee fornication and adultery. Things that are just plainly laid down in our New Testament. These are commands given to us in God's holy word, the New Testament. This is the law of God for us. We are under this law as a way of of knowing how we can please the one who has enlisted us as a soldier. So if you want to win the prize, according to this text, you've got to compete according to the rules. Now, I've heard people say things like this. You know, I know this is sin in my life, but God understands. Now, what do they mean by that? They mean, I'm just going to keep living this way. God understands and God will accept me and God will forgive me and so everything's okay, I'm just going to go on living in this sin. What would you tell a person like that if you were sitting down with them? Maybe you're discipling them or maybe you're counseling them and they say, well, I know I'm doing this, but God understands. You'd probably say something like, well, if it's true that he has begun a good work in you, he's going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to let you stay in that sin He's going to convict you and He's going to purify you and He's going to cleanse you and He's going to give you the power to overcome that particular sin. He's not going to leave you there. That's why He sent His Holy Spirit in our hearts to cleanse us and to purify us and to sanctify us. So, we can't use that as an excuse. Even though it might be true that we're weak and we have a difficult time overcoming a particular sin, God is stronger than your weakness. And if you trust in Him and rely upon Him, He can give you victory over sin. We have to believe that. We have to know that. So that's competing according to the rules. Okay, God says this. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, I'm going to play according to the rules. I'm not going to break them. What happens to an athlete when he breaks the rules? Like a, a baseball player. He, 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 he takes steroids. What happens? That's right kicked out of the game and he's suspended do you want to be suspended from the Christian life you want God kicking you out and saying you stay over there in the corner for a while no and it could even be that if your life is characterized by breaking the rules it may mean that you don't have the spirit inside of you which is a very scary thought altogether because someone with the spirit of God wants to keep the rules that Christ has laid down in his holy word There's an inner desire and and compulsion to do that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Is there anything more than your spirit, soul, and body? That's just about everything you are, right? He wants all of that to be sanctified entirely. Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love this promise he tacks on the end. Faithful is He who calls you, and He also will bring it to pass. He will. You can count on Him. If He has called you into His kingdom, He will bring this to pass. He will perfect you to the day of Christ Jesus. He will sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. There is... A warning passage in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And sometimes it might be helpful to take a look at that passage. Paul says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. If Jesus is in you, there's going to be a hearty desire on your part to want to play by the rules that he's laid down. So, do you want to win the prize? I sure do. Then let's compete according to the rules. Let's know our Bibles. And when you find something in that Bible that your life isn't matching up with, apply what you're reading to your life. You know, it's easy to read through the Bible. It's not so easy to obey the Bible. Have you ever found that out? (laughs) The Bible's a hard book to live by. And folks, you're never going to live by it without the power of the Spirit. But thank God, if you're saved, He's inside you. Do you know how much power you have to live the Christian life? You have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. Is anything too difficult for you to do with that power? Nothing. 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 So, not only are we to be wholly devoted soldiers, we're to be rule-keeping athletes. And the reason we're to do that, the motive, is so that we'd win the prize. Paul says in Second Timothy 4, In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to everyone who's looking for His coming. That includes you and me. There is a crown for us. You say, well, I don't care about crowns. Folks, you're going to... You're going to care about them when you get to heaven. Maybe you don't care now. You're going to care then. It is the wise man who lives for eternity and it's the fool who lives for the here and now. What are you living for? Oh, I want to stir you up to live for eternity, folks. I forget who it was, but they would would make this their prayer. Lord, stamp eternity in my eyeballs. (laughs) So I'm seeing eternity, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm engaged in, I'm seeing eternity. Randy Alcorn has a ministry called Eternal Perspectives Ministry. I love that title. Let's live our lives in the light of eternity. There is a prize awaiting for us. Run so that you win the prize. Don't dawdle. Don't sit down on the sidelines. Run with all your might. So we're to be soldiers. We're to be athletes. And thirdly, he says, we're to be farmers. And we're to be certain kinds of farmers. We're to be hard-working farmers. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Now, there is a certain excitement and glory that the soldier and the athlete get to enjoy. Like if you win the battle, there's that glory for the soldier. If you win the prize, there's that excitement for the athlete. It's not so with the farmer. It's tedious. It is um, boring at times. And it is exhausting work. I know a little bit about that because my son is a farmer. (laughs) He's got a little two-acre plot that he's farming, and he's actually making a living off of these two acres working an organic farm there in Columbia, California. And when we talked to him, we said, well, what's your life like? He goes, well, there's never enough time to do everything. There's never enough time. I've got this list of things, and I just do the things I have to get done for this day. I know that tomorrow there's going to be a whole other list. (laughs) And so he's plowing up the ground. And he's planting seed. And then he's making sure the water gets down to the seed. And then he's weeding. And then he's got to harvest it and put it in boxes and take it to the farmer's market. And then this year, he decided he wanted to expand. And so they live on this hill. So he actually uh, dug out these level places on the hillside. He terraced it. And now he's added a whole other acre to his farm. And then he had to plant, or not plant, he had to raise a fence around it so the deer wouldn't come in and eat everything up. I think, man, that just sounds exhausting listening to you. It's farmers have to work from sun up to sun rise, or to sun down when the the harvest is upon them because they need all of those hours to get in their crops. Farming's hard work. That's Paul's point. It's hard work, and the literal wording for the word "hard working" here is to sweat and to strain to the point of exhaustion. We are to sweat and to strain to the point of exhaustion in the Christian life. Now, you probably don't hear that very much. But I'm going to tell you the truth. The Christian life is hard work. (laughs) Yes, it's delightful to spend time with God. That's our joy. Of course, that's true. But there is an aspect of the Christian life where it is work. Now, think about this with me. Uh, how, How is farming like the Christian life... What are you doing? What's your what's your goal when you're farming? Produce a crop. In the Christian life, God wants us to produce a crop. Now Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 13 that the seed that we plant is the word of God. And he said the harvest is the end of the age. So there's coming a day, a judgment day, when we are going to see which crops actually have stood the test and have... Are there, and they've passed the judgment, and they those people that have been converted enter into the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a harvest, and we are called to be farmers, working for that harvest. So what that means is God wants us to be planting His word. We do that through witnessing, telling other people about Christ. He also wants us to water those seeds. We do that through prayer. So once you've told someone about Christ, you water it with prayer. He wants us to be weeding, taking out the weeds. We do that when we have a new convert and we have to reprove them, or we have to correct them, or we have to warn them. We're getting the weeds out so they can flourish in their Christian life. And then we pick the crops in the end. See, that, that little seed that you planted, when it first shoots up above the ground and you see the new life... That's like somebody receiving the Word of God and being saved. But when a farmer sees that little shoot coming up out of the ground, does he think, wow, good, I'm done, now I can go back and rest? That's just the beginning, right? He's got to do all these other things to make sure he gets a crop. And when someone comes to faith, that's just the beginning. Then the real work begins of trying to help that person to mature in Christ. One of my favorite verses is Colossians 1.28. And I don't know it by heart, but it goes something like this. We proclaim Him, teaching and admonishing every man that we might present every man complete in Christ. That word complete means mature. What was Paul's goal in his ministry? He looked at every person that he knew, and he says, I want to teach them. I want to admonish them. Now, what did he teach them? Christ. We proclaim Him. That's Jesus Christ was the subject of Paul's teaching and preaching. And he says, I'm going to teach them, and I'm going to admonish them so that every man would be complete and mature in Christ. Paul was looking forward to the harvest, the end of the age. And he wanted his disciples to stand the test. And so he labored in in their lives. He poured his life into them. And God is calling you and I to be pouring our life into other people. We're farmers. We need a crop. This is how you raise a crop. You pour your life into those seeds, those seedlings that have come up. You water them. You weed them. And finally you pick the fruit from them. Whose life are you investing in? Specifically, by name, who are you investing your life in? We ought to be able to answer that question. And if we don't have anybody, then we ought to start praying like crazy. God, God, I'm available would you send someone into my life that I can pour my life into I want to be like Paul who is intent on seeing mature believers rise up so the hard working farmer the Christian life is a life of work and sweat and labor we found that out didn't we when we did the gold rush days <laughs> when I got home after preaching and handing out tracts all day I was tired and last Sunday, when we went out to the light rail, it was 100 degrees, and my flesh wanted to do anything other than go to the light rail and witness. But I went, and it wasn't easy. It's not always going to be easy to do what God wants you to do, it's going to require sacrifice, it's going to require diligence. It might mean that you're going to have to give up a Saturday night to have a neighbor over to your home and have dinner with them so that you can develop a relationship with that person and share Jesus Christ with them. It's going to require sacrifice if you to give up another weeknight so that you're involved in a missional community. See, the Christian life demands our life. A, a, son, a person who comes to church on Sunday morning and gives up an hour and a half is not living the normal Christian life. If that's the extent of your relationship to Christ... It's way, way, way down here. God wants you to rise up. He wants you to be a fruitful Christian. And that's going to require labor, sacrifice, and devotion. So He's calling us today okay, step it up. Where do you want to be, and where are you? What steps are you going to take to get where you want to be? What's the motivation? behind the hard-working farmer. Now, the soldier's motivation was to please his commanding officer. The athlete's motivation was to win the prize. The hard-working farmer's motivation is to receive his share of the crops. I'll tell you what I think Paul had in mind when he wrote that. I think he was saying, when you get to heaven... If you've been faithful now, you're going to see a long line of people that your life has influenced and are in heaven because of something that you have done. Jesus alluded to this in Luke 16, verse 9. He said, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, that's money, so that when it fails, when your money fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Well, What do you mean? Who is the they that's going to receive you into the eternal dwellings? The friends that you've made by the use of your money and possessions. In other words, Jesus is saying, use your money and possessions now to win people to Christ. So that when your money fails and you die, those people that you've had a hand in in their conversion, they're going to receive you into the eternal dwellings. And I just want to expand on what Jesus said. And it's not just your money and possessions. It's everything you have. It's the 24 hours you have in a day. Your time. Are you willing to sacrifice that? for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice your money and possessions for the cause of Jesus Christ? What about the gifts that He's given to you? Some of you have gifts in preaching and teaching and counseling and gifts with children. Um, God wants you to use whatever He's given to you to the full. And if we do that, the promise to us is, is that we're going to receive our share of the crops. There's an old story about a missionary couple that were elderly. They had served in Africa for over 50 years. They were coming back on a a cruise ship. But they were coming back on a ship that Teddy Roosevelt was also on. And Teddy Roosevelt had been over in Africa on a big game safari hunt. And so as he comes back, there are thousands of people lining the pier. And there's dignitaries there. And there's a brass band And a parade, and the whole city's going crazy welcoming Teddy Roosevelt back. And this elderly missionary husband turns to his wife and he says, We serve for 50 years, and we come home, and there's not a single person to greet us. And he goes on a big game hunt, and he comes home, and the whole city turns out. And she wisely and quietly turns to her husband and says, But honey, we're not home yet. And we're not home yet until we get to heaven that's when we're going to receive our prize. You see, it's having that eternal perspective. Live for eternity, folks. Oh, if I could somehow get it into your heart this morning, the importance of living for eternity. The time is precious. We throw away time like it's nothing. Pretty soon it's going to be gone. And all the time we've wasted, we're going to be in heaven thinking, why did I do that? Why did I waste my life on these trivial things? We're hard-working farmers. That's the life God has called us to live. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Will you take up the challenge? To obey First 1 Corinthians 15.58 this morning? To always abound in the work of the Lord? To make your life count for eternity? To, st- to start putting away some things from your life that, that have no value. They have no eternal value. Are you willing to start giving more portions of your life to Jesus Christ that He could use you in a way that would bring Him honor and glory and His fame would spread throughout the world? That's the normal Christian life. That's 98.6. That just means you're healthy. You've got a normal temperature if you're willing to con- consecrate back to Jesus Christ all that you have. Let's pray. Father, would you seal this message to the heart of your, your children today? Would you help us, Lord Jesus, to lovingly respond to your grace? Lord, we, we can never, ever repay you for what you've done. And we're not trying to pay you back, Lord. We're just trying to be pleasing to you. We know there's coming a judgment day when we're going to hear, if we've been faithful now, well done, good and faithful servant. Hear the words of pleasure from our commanding officer. And there's coming a day when we're going to receive a prize. Jesus Christ himself will award us the crown of righteousness. And there's coming a day when others will receive us into the eternal dwellings and we're going to receive our share of the crops Oh God, give us eyes to believe that these words are true and that the world that we see around us is less true than the world we're going to. Stir up your people today to action. And Lord, if there's any person here today that doesn't know Christ, would you help them to turn their life over completely to Jesus Christ today? To receive the gift of everlasting life that he purchased through his righteous life his agonizing death, and his glorious and victorious resurrection. And it's all for him that we pray today. Amen. Amen.